As we open God's Word this morning, let me uh, have a little audience participation today. If you like hot tea, just raise your hand. I, I never really had hot tea. I was on a mission trip in Santiago, Chile, and it was freezing, and they gave me some hot tea, and I, I really liked it. It was good. It helped me get a little warmth there. But if you like iced tea, raise, raise your hand. Unsweet, sweet, either way, doesn't really matter. But let me just go on record to say this. When you get into lukewarm tea, it's just nasty. No, there's just no other way around it. Hot tea's good. Iced tea's really good. Lukewarm tea is just absolutely nasty. So that's, I'm right there with Jesus on that. As I think about this text today in Revelation 3, Jesus speaking, writing this letter to the church in Laodicea. It's not from Paul. It's not from Peter. And it's not even from John. It's from Jesus himself. He's going to write to them. And he has some very strong words to these believers in this place called Laodicea. How many of you have ever said to somebody, uh, you make me sick? Those are tough words to hear. How many of you have ever said, when I see you, I just want to throw up? There's people who say that. You know, one of the things for me, I mean, I, ha I hate the feeling of being nauseated in life. I don't like it. And uh, what are some things that cause me to do that? And I mean, I think about you know, if I eat certain foods, it could cause me to be nauseous. If I ride certain rides at theme parks, that could do it. But for me, I don't know if anybody can identify with my situation, but if I see someone else throwing up, there's a good possibility I'm going to join them. And it just makes me nauseous. I was preaching one, one week at a, at a college in Florida. They'd asked me to come over three mornings and to preach to their students. And so I was driving from Tallahassee there, and I was driving down the interstate, Interstate 10, and I saw a guy pulled over on the side of the road. He was leaning outside of his truck, and he was throwing up. And as I was driving, I thought, I'm going to have to pull over and join him in just a moment <laughs> because I just can't hardly take that and uh, the sight and the smell and all that. It's just bad. But, but here Jesus says he's going to speak to this church, and he has some words to him. Let me ask you this question. What nauseates you? Maybe some of those same things. Maybe it's something else, but... Have you ever thought about this question? What makes the Lord sick? And he's going to say to this church, he gave his life for the church. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And he says to this church, he says, you make me sick. You cause me to be nauseous. And I'm on the verge of spitting you, throwing up, spitting you out of my mouth. Very graphic language. As we think about Laodicea, for you just to know a little bit of the backstory about them, they were located on a major, major trade route. All roads seemed to go through Laodicea if you were traveling in that part of the world in Asia, minor what we know as Turkey. And if you ever fly by airplane somewhere, you know just about all airplanes seem to go through Atlanta. So you can't go anywhere in the world really unless you go through Atlanta. And that was the same way with Laodicea. So a lot of people came through that way, but Laodicea had a reputation. They were known for a number of things. You may want to write these down. They were known as the financial center. There was a lot of money in Laodicea. They were wealthy people. And uh, so finances were, were rolling in Laodicea. They were also known as a fashion center wool and other things would have been made there so they would have been styling in many ways but they're also known as a medical center and you see what he's talking about salve to put on your eyes they were known to, to have products that could help you with your eyesight a phrygian powder was one of those and they put it on their eyes and improved their eyesight so they were a financial center a fashion center but also a medical center 
And what we see when Jesus is writing this letter to the church in Laodicea, he is writing from their context. He knows them. He knows their situation. He knows the church, but he also knows the city, so he's speaking into their lives. There was a major earthquake in Laodicea and just leveled the city. Nero was the emperor in charge, and Nero came to leaders and wanted to give them money to rebuild. So in our day, when government talks about bailout, it's not anything new. They did that back in those days. But here's where the people in Laodicea and the leaders were. Nero trying to give them money to rebuild from this devastating earthquake, and they said, we do not need your help. We're fine by ourselves. You see their self-sufficiency. You see that they don't need any help. They're not dependent on anyone. We'll take care of this ourselves. It would be like a tornado came through our city, devastated our city. And so government was looking to give our leaders in our city money to rebuild. And our leader said, we don't want your money. We're fine on our own. We'll take care of it ourselves. And so you look at this church meeting and living and existing in the city of Laodicea. And then the question comes up, well, how does the Lord work and what does he do? And we see this, that there are times we look at the external, the outward appearance, but we know the Lord does something very different than that. He didn't just look at the external and the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And you, you see this in God's word, First Samuel chapter 16, as they're searching for a king, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks and says on the heart. And so that's even in reference to not only kings, but it is also in reference to churches. So we look at the external, the outward things to say, look at this church, look at all they have, must be doing great. But Jesus looks at the heart of the church, the heart of the believer, and he sees how we really relate with him. And can I just share with you today too, Jesus is not impressed with the size of our facility. He is not impressed with how much money we have in the bank when you see the financial statement. And he is not impressed with how sophisticated we may look on a Sunday morning. doesn't impress him. Because here's what you've got to realize about the church in Laodicea. They very well could have had very, very nice places to meet at when they gathered together as believers. Had money in the banks. They even say we're rich. They could have looked very sophisticated when they gathered together. And what Jesus is going to say to them, you're not cold, you're not hot, you're lukewarm, and I'm on the verge of throwing up and spitting you out of my mouth. Here's what we know about the church in Laodicea. The church should influence the culture. Instead, the culture of Laodicea had influenced the church. Think about that in churches in America. Think about that even in our city. Think about that even for us as First Baptist Church. When you think about our church, the witness of our church, the reach of our church, are we influencing the culture in which we live or is the culture influencing us as a church? And Jesus has some strong words to this church in Laodicea. So let me walk you through some things here as we look at our outline. I want to give you this insight to this, and you need to know this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ can please him, but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ can grieve him. And so when you think about our church, when you think about our community of faith, believers together, are we pleasing him or are we grieving him as a church? We're going to see that. I want you to walk through these principles from God's word. Number one, hear the church's head. 
you've got to realize when you read Revelation 3, specifically as he's writing to the believers here in Laodicea and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. When you read that, you have to realize this, that it's not a church consultant writing them. It's not a denominational leader writing them. It is the head of the church and his name is Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life went to Calvary's cross, shed his blood, died on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. He gave his life for the church. And so we're talking about the head of the church speaking to the church in Laodicea, and he's going to be straightforward. He's going to speak truth to them. He's revealing himself, but he's speaking to them. He's not playing church. He's not entertaining them. He is speaking truth into their lives. Here, the church is head now here's the thing when we we look at when when, and some of you don't even know what i'm getting ready to say many of you will when ef hutton speaks people do what people listen and when i was doing church consulting work with the kentucky baptist convention i'd talk to churches about revitalization when i always did that we always met with the pastor first and said want to understand how committed are you to this church are you going to be here are you looking to make a transition we always said, are you willing to lead this church through these steps of revitalization, transition? It's not easy. Are you willing to lead? But also spiritually, how healthy are you? Because revitalization is difficult on a pastor. So how are you doing in your own life so that you can lead effectively? We always talk to the pastor before we ever dealt with the church. And Jesus here is speaking to the angel, the messenger, the pastor of the church, and then he's going to reveal himself, and then he's going to speak to God's people. Look at these three things here. Number one, important words. He says to them, he says, the words of the amen, what that means is, so be it. I agree with you. It's words that are significant, and we would say amen to that. And I'll just say it's okay to say amen in a sermon every now and then. Helps me preach faster when you say amen. I thought I'd get an amen or two right there. That would get moving on here. But when you think about what Jesus is saying, he said, he's the word of the amen, means so be it, what you say is right, it is significant. We need to pay attention and we agree with what you're saying. So one is important words. Number two, straightforward witness. He says to the church there, he says, he is the faithful and true witness. You never have to question the faithfulness of Jesus. May question our faithfulness at times, but you never question the faithful of Jesus. He is always faithful. He said also he's a true witness. Here's what he means that. He is never going to lie to you and me. He's never going to deceive you and me. He will never mislead you and me. He will always be true. He will speak the truth to you and me. Everything he says is faithful and truthful. And so he is, he's a straightforward witness. I had somebody ask me one time to say, do you believe good people go to heaven? What, what do you think I should say to them? Do you think I should say, well, I don't know. No, no, no. You just got to be straightforward in those situations. And to say, no, good people doesn't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. You, you got to speak the truth to that, and that's what Jesus is doing. If you go see a medical doctor and you've got issues, you want the medical doctor, you hope he or she will have good bedside personality. Some do, some don't. But you want to make sure that when you go to a medical doctor, that doctor is speaking the truth to you. You don't want that doctor just to tell you what you want to hear. You want that doctor to tell you what you need to hear. Jesus is the same way. He's not just telling the church what they want to hear. He is telling them what they need to hear because he is a straightforward witness to the church. Number three, he's the extravagant provider. 
we see in this context, he said he's the beginning of God's creation, meaning he provides everything we need. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, so forth. We see that in John chapter one. So he is this extravagant provider. And all of us in here this morning, we could say how blessed we are because of the goodness of our heavenly father. If you ever watch the show, sometimes on Friday nights, and you can catch reruns of this on other channels, the show Shark Tank. Anybody ever see that show? These investors are out there and people are coming in and pitching their products and trying to, to get somebody, a shark, to be a partner with them. And if you ever read a little fine print when the show comes on, it talks about the way they're making these investments. And it says these investments are made by self-made millionaires and billionaires. Think about that. And the words that, that I resonate with there is this idea of being self-made. And we have to realize as we gather to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, none of us are self-made. If you are blessed this morning, you are blessed because God's been good to you. And, and, and you also need to realize if you make a, a living and, and you're able to provide for your family, not what you want, but what you need, you need to realize God has opened the door to provide what you need. And if you'll just take your hand at your pulse or right here or put it on your heart, your next heartbeat is dependent on the goodness of God in your life. And so he is the extravagant provider. None of us are self-made. We are blessed by the heavenly father who owns everything. And so when we look at that, we look at this church and he's speaking to them. You listen, you hear the church's head. Number two, evaluate the church's health. He, he's gonna get serious with this church here. He's gonna say something to them and he's gonna speak very directly to them because he wants them to understand who they are, how he sees them and what they need to do. So he looks at them and says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. With it, you are either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Let me walk through that for a minute, give you these insights. I want you to see this. I'll, I'll get to these blanks in just a moment. But he says here, I know, he said, I know your works. He knows everything about them. He said that to these churches. And as we look at this letter to this church in Laodicea, he had nothing good to say to them at all. All of it is words of correction. But he says, I know your works. And so he knows everything about this church. They can pretend this way. They can think this way. But he says, this is really who you are. And so I know your works. It was this college freshman, uh, left, you know, graduated high school through the summer, went to college from the fall. He's on his college campus and, and he runs into this lady one day and she's asking him about his college experience. How are you doing at college? And he said, I love college. It's everything I thought it would be. He said, you know, the, the, the studies are amazing. I'm growing, learning a lot, seeing how I'm going to, doors are going to open for me in my career down the road. He says, the students here are wonderful. I'm building great relationships. And he says, the accommodations here, I'm living on campus, the dorms are incredible, very comfortable. And so I'm having great experience here at college. And so she asked him another question or two. And then he turned the conversation and said, college is great, but I, I'm, I'm a little suspect about the president of the university. He seems a little disconnected from students. I was in a meeting with him the other day. and He didn't seem connected to the students. And I'm not for sure if he's really able to even lead this university forward in the days, the years to come. And so the lady said to him, do you know who I am? And he says, no, ma'am, I don't. And she said, I am the wife of the president of this university. And so this young college freshman looked back to her and said, do you know who I am? And she says, I don't. And he said, good, as he ran away. So, and so when you look at the life of Jesus, you're not going to trick him. 
You're not going to deceive him. You can fool other people, but you're not going to fool the Son of God. He says, I know your works. And then the next thing he says to them, he says that you're neither cold nor hot. What is he saying to this church? Cold or hot? Well, here's, here's the emphasis of that. You have to understand the context of Laodicea. Jesus is saying everything in their context. Oh, if they're hot, then they're dependent upon him. Everything is about the Lord Jesus Christ and they're faithful in ministry. But if they're cold, then they could come and say, we are cold as ice. We need to be forgiven. We need revival. We need repentance. We need to come back to you. But he's saying you're lukewarm and what you're saying is you don't really need him in life. You don't even really need him to function. You're living independent of the very one who gave his life for you as a church. And he says, it makes me sick because you're lukewarm. I wish you were either hot or cold. That way you'd depend on me or you'd turn back to me and I'd do a tremendous work in your lives. But because you're lukewarm, you make me nauseous. It fits the context of Laodicea. When you study history, you look at the city of Laodicea, their water supply was not super good. They got their water supply from two places, from Colossae and Hierapolis. Interesting enough, Colossae had very cold water, and so by the time the water got from Colossae down to Laodicea, cold water started here. By the time it got here, guess what the water was? It was lukewarm. Hierapolis had hot water, but by the time it got from Hierapolis down to Laodicea, guess what that water was? It was lukewarm. And so Jesus is speaking in the language that they would understand as a city, but also as a church. And so he says, I wish you were either one or the other because you're living your lives like you don't even need me. You're self-sufficient. You don't need any help from me. No grace. You're living life all on your own. And then he says, because of that, you're making me nauseous. I want to spit you out of my mouth, language we would understand. I want to throw up because of who you are. Look at his language. Look at number one, church, you say. Here's what he says in this context. He says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And then verse 17, for you say, here's what they say. I mean, this is not some secular organization speaking. This is not some charity speaking somewhere. This is not a civic group speaking here. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Can you imagine saying that to the head of the church who is the Lord Jesus Christ? You got to realize we're rich, we prospered, we don't need anything. They are lukewarm. Pity the church that says in the eyes of the world, we're rich, we prospered, we don't need anything. Church, you know this, I know this. We are desperate on the person of Jesus Christ today. With him, we can do all things. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We are desperate for him. And so this church just says, you got to realize we're rich, we prospered, we don't need anything. That's what you say. Self-diagnosis can be very dangerous. If you're not careful, you'll get a common cold and you'll start looking online at some of these medical sites and before long, you're going to start calling Ed and make an appointment with him and say, I think I've got a common cold, but looking on the, on the online site, I may be close to death. I've got to make an appointment and get this thing right. That's what self-diagnosis would do to you. 
And so he's saying, you say this, you say this. If we ask you about our church, what would we say about our church? But it would, would it be in agreement with what he's going to say about us? Because the church said, we don't need anything. We're rich, we prospered, we are doing extremely, extremely well. And I believe if this church was looking for a pastor, resumes would have been flying into this church. Because many pastors I know, they want to go to churches where there's plenty of facilities and plenty of money. They've been flying into this church. I want to pastor that church. That'd be a great church. I want to go there. Here's what you say. Look at the second one. Jesus said, you are. Can you imagine the church listening to the head of the church, the son of God, what he says? You say, I'm rich, I prospered, I need nothing, not realizing, and here it is, that you are. And here's what he says to this church. You're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Jesus says to the church, you are in a bad, bad place. Everything you do is for yourself. It's never for me. You have all the time in the world for yourself, but you have no time for me. And Jesus says, you are lukewarm as believers. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're lukewarm, and it makes me nauseous. Where do you stand at? major issues, where do you stand? It's like the politician who said one time, somebody asked him, where do you stand on this particular issue? And he said, well, I've got friends who believe this way. He said, I've got friends who believe that way. And he says, as for me, I'm sticking with my friends. <laughs> All over the place. Where, where, where do you find yourself at? What do we say about the church? But let me ask you, what does he say about the church? Because we want to know what he thinks about us so that we can obey his leadership. Number three, understand the church's hope. He's going to give them hope. I'm, I'm so thankful that even though this church made him nauseous and he was about to throw up and spit them out of his mouth, he still had hope for this church. He's still calling them to repent, still calling them back to himself. Look at these three things. Number one, open hands. He says to this church, he said, I count you to buy from me gold refined by fire. What that means is you lay up treasures in heaven. You surrender everything to me. Come before me with open hands, not clenched fists. You surrender your lives, surrender your future. Realize you are dependent and desperate for me. Live that way. Come to me with open hands. Number two, surrender life. And then he comes in, he talks about this counsel me to buy from me gold refined by fire so you may be rich and white garments so you may clothe yourself. White garments is talking about the righteousness of Christ. We don't need to be like the world. We need to be like Jesus. And there's very difference in that. So he says to me, the surrender life. And then number three, kingdom vision, as he comes and he says to them, and then salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So what is he saying? There's this Phrygian's powder to salve because the medical center, I want you to put this on your eyes so you're going to be able to see. Spiritually, you're going to be able to see. You're going to be able to see who I am. You're going to be able to see the mission field I've given you. You're going to be able to see how you can expand the kingdom. It's not about you. It's not about your preferences. It's about the work that I want to do in you. I want you to have kingdom vision and Jesus is giving this church hope. Number four, turn the church's handle. In, in Revelation, specifically Revelation 3, chapter 20, this is a verse that in many ways, at times we can take out of context, we can misuse. Here's what I mean by that. He goes on to talk to them, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Let me say this, if the Lord disciplines you, that's a good thing in your walk with him. 
Why? Because it shows that you're one of his children. You discipline children whom you love. And when the Lord disciplines you and me, when he, ch when he reproves us and he disciplines us, it shows that we have been forgiven and we're his children. So be, be zealous and repent. And then in verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It's a great invitation. We often take that verse to think about, he's talking about an evangelistic situation. So we often say to somebody when we're sharing the gospel, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. If you'll open the door, he will come in and change your life. Now that is true. Jesus will do that. If, if, you, if you need to give your life to Christ and you need to repent and trust him, you open your life, you surrender your life, you invite him in. He'll change your life both now and for all eternity. But understand the context. In this context, he's not speaking merely to someone who's lost, who's heard the gospel, needs to give his or her life to Christ. He is speaking to the church. And he's asking the church in Laodicea to turn the handle and invite him in. Here's what concerns me about this text. It's possible for you and me to do church without Jesus. Because that's what he's saying to this church in Laodicea. You're lukewarm. You're making me sick. He says, I stand at the door and knock. He's on the outside wanting to get back in. And if, you, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. He's wanting back in his church. And will they open the door and invite him in? I'll give you these three words. First word is reveal. He's revealing himself. He said, I stand at the door and knock. What that means is when it says knock, it's not just he's knocking on it one time and he walks away. The, the Greek text emphasizes he keeps knocking, 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 and knocking. Aren't you thankful for the patience of Jesus? He's been patient with you and me. He's been patient with us as a church. I am thankful that he keeps knocking, keeps inviting, keeps giving us second, third, fourth, fifth chances. He is so patient to me and to the church in Laodicea. He is knocking on the door. He's knocking on the door. He's knocking on the door. He is revealing himself to this church. Number two is the word response. He says to them, if anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. He's wanting them to respond to him in obedience. Open the door. Invite me in. And so I ask you today, how do you need to respond? What is the Lord inviting you to do in your life? Is he inviting you to give your life to Jesus? Is he inviting you to follow him in baptism? Is he inviting you to join the fellowship of the church? Is he inviting you to surrender your life to ministry? Is he inviting you to witness to someone? Is he inviting you to give something for the glory of God? What is he inviting you to do? And I just plead with you, obey, respond to the leadership of Jesus. Whatever he asks you to do, obey him. Surrender your life to him. Respond to him. That's what he's saying to the believers here in Laodicea. I, I'm, I'm gonna, I want you to repent. I want you to turn back to me. And then number three is the word relate. He says, I'll come in and eat with you, you with me. We're going to relate together. I want to have that kind of intimate lifestyle relationship with you as a church. I don't want you to be merely hot, cold, one the other. I want you to be hot. I want you to be lukewarm. I want to come in and fellowship with you as God's people. I want to relate with you. Let me, let me wrap it up this way. Gallup did a survey some time ago. They, they interviewed 13,000 individuals who had walked away from the church. At one time, they were involved in the life of the church, but they just walked away. 
And they interviewed those 13,000 people and said, what would it take for you to return to church again? What would it take for you to come back into the fellowship of God's people? And the overwhelming answer those 13,000 people gave said this, if I could see spiritual passion in the lives of leaders and members, I would be quick to return again. And those individuals said, I just don't want to see leaders and members merely going through the motions. First Baptist Church, let me ask you, when it comes to Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, when it comes to us as a church, as we are a body of believers together, the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, are we simply going through the motions or are we relating to the Lord Jesus Christ with spiritual passion for his glory? Who are we? It's possible to go through the motions. It's possible to do church and not even need the Lord Jesus Christ. It's possible for you to try to live the Christian life and to live the Christian life like you are self-sufficient. It's possible to do that. But are you relating to him in your own walk with him? Am I relating with him? Are we as a church relating on him with spiritual passion? We want to be hot for Jesus. We want to be on fire for the Son of God and Savior of the world. This city... This city, our county, this state, Tennessee Baptist, Southern Baptist Convention, they need to see us on fire for Jesus Christ. Not cold, not lukewarm, on fire for him. They need to see that. This past week, we do this every year as a church. We just finished what's called an ACP report. It's an annual church profile report. Southern Baptist churches are asked to do these things, and here's what they're asked. They'll give us all this information. They ask us, how many members do we have? How many baptisms did we have? How many people joined the church last year? How many people are in the worship ministry? How many people are in Bible studies? How many people are in discipleship? How many people went on mission trips? What's the giving of the church? And they go through all these numbers, and they want all these facts because facts are our friends. And as I looked at that report a couple times last week, the Holy Spirit just convicted me to say this. They asked for all these numbers, but when you look at the seven churches in Revelation, we don't know any numbers of these churches. We don't know how many they ran on Sunday morning. We don't know how, much, how many they could sit around wherever they were meeting at. We don't know how, what their budget was. We don't know any of those things. But we look at those and say, I want to know your numbers. And again, facts are our friends. I get that. But nowhere on the annual church profile Nowhere on the information that we are going to surrender and give to people who are in leadership positions in Southern Baptist life, nobody has asked us, what is the temperature of your church? Now, I'm not talking about the temperature inside the building here this morning. Some of you think it's freezing cold in here and others think it's burning up in here. I think it's just about right this morning. Praise Jesus for that. But nobody's asking us, what is the temperature of your church? When it comes to relating with the Lord Jesus, are you hot? Or when it comes to relating with the Lord Jesus, are you cold? Or when it comes to relating to the Lord Jesus, are you lukewarm? Are you about to make him throw up? Nobody's asking us the temperature of our church. In your own relationship with him, if you had to give an answer, what is the temperature of our church? What would you say from your perspective? Be careful what we'd say because they said, we're rich, we prospered, we don't need anything. Jesus said, but no, 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 this is who you really are. 
You're miserable. You're wretched. All these things. He goes through all those things. What would people say? What would you say? Are we hot? Are we cold? Are we lukewarm? Who are we as a church? Church, as your pastor, I don't want to be cold when it comes to Jesus. When it comes to the Son of God, the Savior of the world, my best friend in life, the one who redeemed me, saved me, gave me the assurance that I'm going to go to heaven. One day I'm going to see him face to face. I'm going to worship him forever and forever and forever. I don't, I don't ever want to be lukewarm in his sight. But just let me confess. When I look back on my Christian life since I came to Christ, there have been seasons of my life that I would say, looking back now, I was lukewarm when it came to Jesus. And I would have made him sick. I don't want to live that way. I want to be hot, on fire, obedient, passionate, surrendered, excited about the Lord and what he's doing in my life and doing among us as a church. College football is a big deal for us. I imagine a lot of us watched football games yesterday. Your team may have won, your team may have lost. Your team may have done great. Your team may have, like, who is that team? I don't even know who they are. Maybe I'm going to root for a different team next week. <laughs> who knows? I was watching a little bit of the Tennessee game last night. If you're a Tennessee fan, the good news, you won big last night. Way to go. I'm not going to say just Kentucky's 5-0, and but just, just put it out there a little bit. <laughs> but I got one paper happy about that. Just one person in this whole room excited about that. I got convicted last night. I didn't watch much of the Tennessee game, just being honest, being transparent. But, but I watched a little bit of it. And then, and then when I watched it, the television screen, they, they, they were going into the locker room and it showed, and I've been in Florida State's locker room and, and walked out that before. And I know they've got sayings on the wall and so forth. And as Tennessee players walk out from the locker room onto the football field, there's a, a picture, I think, it was the state of Tennessee, and here's what it says. I will give my all for Tennessee today. This college guys, football guys. Well, when I walk out of this locker room and I walk on that football field, I give my all for Tennessee today. We're probably 10 minutes away. We're going to say amen. We're going to walk out these doors and we're going to walk onto the mission field. How many of us in this room, when we walk out those doors in just a minute, say, listen, I'm not giving my all for Tennessee. I'm not giving my all for Kentucky. I'm not giving my all for Florida State. But I am giving my all for Jesus today when I walk out. How many of us are going to do that? Because if you are on fire and you are hot in your relationship to Christ, when you walk in and you walk out, everything is about Jesus. Again, we're going to make a living. We're going to do things, but I give my all for Jesus, the Son of God. So I want to challenge us today. If you're in the room or you're watching online, you need to give your life to Christ. You need to trust him as your Savior. You need to follow him in baptism. Join this church. You need to make a spiritual decision. You need to confess a sin that you are cold or lukewarm, and you need that to change in your life. We want to invite you to come forward this morning. Our pastoral team is going to be here. I'm going to be here. Our prayer people are going to be here. We'd love to pray with you, counsel you, celebrate with you as Jesus through his Holy Spirit at work in your lives. We'd love to see you come forward today. 
you're watching with us online somewhere in another state or around the world, we'd love you to make a spiritual decision. You can do that. Whatever platform you're watching on, you can let us know how Jesus is at work in your life. We'd love to help you and celebrate with you. But also, I want to challenge you for this altar to be filled with the people of God who are members of this church, the family of God, brothers and sisters in Jesus, that this altar be filled to say, Lord Jesus, make sure we are a church that's on fire for you. Lord Jesus, we don't want to be cold. Lord Jesus, we don't want to be lukewarm. Lord Jesus, we want to be on fire for you. Will you come and fill this altar and say, Jesus, do not spit us out of your mouth. Help us to be on fire, passionate, surrendered, excited about what you're doing in the days ahead. We want to be a hot, on-fire church for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. So I want us to pray together. And then we're going to sing a wonderful hymn, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. That could be your story. You need to follow him again. But again, is this altar going to be filled with us this morning to sing, Oh, Lord Jesus, we don't want to be lukewarm. We don't want to be cold. We want to be hot on fire for you today. And Lord, when we walk out these doors, we've gathered here to worship and we go on to the mission field. We want to give everything for you today. If football players can give their all for their university, their team, we can walk out these doors giving our all for the Lord Jesus Christ because he gave everything for you and for me. He gave it all. And let's make a decision to follow him. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence among us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your invitation. And, Lord, if there's a public decision that needs to be made, Lord Jesus, we will celebrate. If this altar will be filled with people who are saying, Oh, Lord, let our church be on fire for you. I pray you will move in this invitation. The glory will go to you. And we're coming to Jesus, who is the head of the church and speaks truth to us. He is the amen. And we thank you from whom all blessings flow. They come from him. So, Lord Jesus, move in our midst is our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.